0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday the 18th of November 2022, but it might be Friday the 13th, at least symbolically for Twitter Um, It's a nightmare down there. I'm in San Francisco. It's not very far away. Uh, Elon Musk issued an ultimatum to the staff. Commit to hardcore Twitter, in other words. Commit yourself to burning yourselves out or take three months severance. And most of the staff seems to be work, uh, seems to be not working, but walking. Uh, uh, 1200 people, apparently, according to The New York Times, has left. Uh, The Verge says that hundreds of employees uh, are saying no to be part of Elon Musk's extremely hardcore Twitter. Um, This may seem a San Francisco-centric, tech-centric issue, but I think it gets to the heart of how we are rethinking work. It seems as if um, a majority or at least a large minority of Twitter workers are rebelling against Musk, not because they don't like him, because they're not willing to allow themselves to be burnt out. Um, one uh, one Twitter worker's leaving said, uh, "I'm not pressing the button. My watch ends with Twitter 1.0. I know, I do not want want wish to be part of Twitter 2.0. Twitter 2.0, as as Musk made clear, requires radical commitment. Requires essentially living in the company. It all for sort of All this touches on one of the great cultural and perhaps even political issues of our age, job burnout, what it means and how we should approach our work. And it's particularly important today because we are talking with Michael Leiter, who is the author of a new book about burnout. It's called The Burnout Challenge, Managing People's Relationships with Their Job*. Uh, Michael seems to uh, have eaten his own dog food. He's talking to us from Nova Scotia. So uh, whilst he is working, he's also having a good time. Uh, Michael, I'm not sure how closely you're following this Twitter story, uh, but who's the big loser here? Who's misbehaving in the context of the burnout challenge? Is it Elon Musk who's requiring too much? Or everyone leaving because they're not willing to work hard enough?
1: Oh, I, I'm on the side that it's uh, Elon Musk uh, asking too much. And also with the idea that the ultimate authority is with the boss and that that is essentially the end of the story, story. and leaving the, uh, the person on top essentially to, to just direct things uh, unilaterally. I don't think that uh, the world is, is really going to go along with that. Anymore, The world never really liked that kind of model, uh, you know, a whole lot, but put up with it for for a very long time. But I think uh, the current workforce, particularly people who have the talent and the determination to be creative, to do things that have imagination to them, uh, they want some other kind of relationship with their workplace than simply obeying what the leader uh, commands.
0: Michael, is this a generational rebellion? It seems, particularly in COVID, that there's this fashion for quiet quitting sometimes, sometimes rather noisy quitting, but it seems a generational thing. We've done a number of shows, particularly with younger mm-hmm. people, whose attitude towards their work is different from the older generation, or is it a broader cultural issue in your mind? And, and, and how much of it is being caused by COVID and the fact that we all stay at home. A lot of the the Musk stuff started at Twitter because he required people to come into the office, which they obviously didn't want to do.
1: Right, yeah, well, that was a particular issue. Okay, wow, that's pretty big. Basically, burnout's been around for a while. Burnout is basically, I think it comes into being in in the modern age and the broadest sense of that, when people gain a sense of themselves, that they have... uh, you know, uh, deserving of self-respect, they have certain core motivations for belonging to a a community that respects them, that uh, to to be able to take initiative in their lives, to have some kind of um, sense of accomplishment from the work that they're doing. When people have those kinds of feelings and they consider them legitimate parts of their being, then that leaves this possibility for a breakdown in the relationship with their workplace. Workplaces are these structured environments. People spend a lot of time in them. And they are uh, they need, if it's going to be a sustaining and fulfilling relationship, they need to be uh, places where people can be fulfilled in that regard, they can be with people in a way that confirms them. They can they can accomplish things that they can feel that that is part of me and what I have contributed to things. Uh, and the more that everything has to be soaked into one, you know, the, the, go up the hierarchy to the top, and all credit and all um, authority rests there, uh, the less interesting that is for people uh, to. to of their lives. So I think that's been around for a while. The current generation is even, I think, more aware of those kinds of motivations, aspirations, feelings. And uh, COVID has just sort of shown that work can happen in so many different ways. You don't have to put up with the old nonsense. It can change drastically.
0: Michael, um, Jill Lepore, one of America's most talented, probably most hardworking historians as well. I wonder if she suffers ever ever from burnout. She had an interesting piece in <laughs> The New Yorker last year on burnout as a, a modern affliction or, a, or, or, or yeah. part of the human condition. I know you've read this piece and there's actually a link to it um, mm-hmm. from the Harvard University Press who who published your book. Wh- what's your take on the Lepore take on burnout?
1: Well, I think that it is something of the, this current age certainly resonates with that because I think people are looking for, well, looking for a lot from their work, but also they want to have their lives to be something that makes sense and that there is a continuity from uh, how they're spending their personal life, how they're spending their work life, and how they put those kinds of things together. And people want a sense of agency. In that and I think a part of what the contradictions like we really look at burnout as this a relationship crisis a relationship between the person and the entity with which they're working. Uh, some of that's with particular individuals but really this whole you know institution that they connect with that it, it is a relationship with on both sides expectations and obligations and demands and uh, how is that working out? with them. And I think her piece captures how the, uh, you know, people are looking for something different from what the standard uh, you know, old-fashioned kind of workplace used to be. Like it, it, it's it's not you know, the industrial age anymore. It is a different kind of work and it is a very portable work. It is very uh, Time-independent kind of work that uh, so many people do, and and they're looking for something that confirms that, and and I think uh, that that article captures uh, a piece of that very nicely.
0: Yeah, it's a nice piece. As everything Lepore <laughs> writes, well worth reading. Just as your book is well worth reading, is the core mm-hmm. message in your book, um, Michael, that really we assume that it's us as workers who were responsible for gauging our own burnout. But ultimately, it should be a managerial issue, perhaps not just in ethical terms, but also in economic terms, because it's managers who are the big losers when individuals burn out. Oh, yeah. And it becomes
1: even more so as the capacity for, you know, Hiring people becomes more difficult. So many places, I work a lot with healthcare and just the world is full of healthcare settings that have a huge problem bringing in new talent. And when they do bring in new talent, it costs a lot of money because people don't just walk in the door ready to do things just the way we do here. There is a lot of uh, training that has to happen. There's a lot of orientation. Uh, losing people, having to replace them is a very big problem sure and the kinds of things that push towards burnout are the kinds of things that push people out the door and when they're there again you you mentioned quiet quitting i'm not sure exactly how much of that is you know really captures a real uh phenomenon but i do know that you know there's a lot of people who are just sort of coasting through their jobs and just doing you know whatever they can do uh to get by and uh, you know, there is a lot of potential there in people. And and that's being just relinquished, just letting it kind of roll by, uh without anybody uh being able to to really find that kind of fulfillment. Uh and, and I really do see it as a, a management issue. So much of the discussion about burnout sort of frames it as, you know, in a health context, which is Part of what's going on there is a health issue. But fundamentally, look at it's a management issue and managers shouldn't be trying to be health practitioners. Managers should be managers and they should look at what is it about how things are run here that are aggravating people? And what can I as a manager do within my capabilities as a manager to alleviate that, to make something better for people?
0: Michael, it might also be not just a managerial issue, as you put it, but also an issue of capitalism. We've done a number of shows where people have referred to Jack Welsh and a new book about Welsh as someone who essentially undermined with his approach to work and exploitation, undermined American capitalism. Do you think for American capitalism to prosper and perhaps even survive, we need to address this burnout challenge that you Talk about in your book.
1: I, I do. I think. I it, 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 it mean, there is this aspect of capitalism which is about, you know, initiative, uh, taking risks, and bringing, bringing things about. You know, there 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 is these positive dimensions of capitalism, but then there is this other part which is that well, it's about exploitation and taking advantage of people and and squeezing everything you can out of them for uh, per you know individual selfish gain. That is also another kind of image that goes with capitalism. And that one is the one that misses the boat in terms of the kinds of things that people are looking for um, and, and, and engaging them into uh, workplaces. I, I, the, the whole framework of uh, top-down authority being sufficient in order to run an enterprise misses so much about what people are about and uh, that, that miss, I think, that gap just continues to grow in an age like today, where people are they, they they're they're looking to do so much more with their life, and a you know a, a place with you know insightful leadership, visionary leadership, uh, really uh, can bring out that potential in people, and then there is a financial gain for the whole operation that can happen at that point.
0: There's a spiritual vacuum, though, more broadly, Michael. We've talked about this um, with a number of authors on the show who note that in in, in some ways tech companies become like church, like religion, because people need some sort of spiritual meaning, some sort of spiritual Mm -hmm. direction. They don't find it in church. They don't find it in politics. They don't find it in family. They don't find it in friendship. So they look for it in work. And that adds to the complexity of this issue. We did... um, uh, an interview with Sarah Jaffe, a, um, a, a progressive journalist. She has a, a fascinating new book out, brilliantly titled, "Won't Work Won't Love You Back. It's a reminder that work by yeah, definition, no, right. at least in her mind, is exploitative. And yet the researchers mm-hmm. show, uh, and I think you're amongst this, that people who love their jobs the most are most prone to burnout. So we do love our jobs, whatever Sarah Jaffe might suggest. Should we be loving our work less? Do we need to find more meaning outside work, um, Michael, if we're to fix this burnout issue?
1: Well, I think you, you need to have a broad base. I I think really the, the, that spiritual dimension, trying to fulfill it at work and think, well, okay, that's going to work for me, It is going to run into problems. I think the main thing is... Uh, that people aren't looking for like the spiritual connection just simply in church. Like it isn't, they can't like just locate it in one place. It's a matter of within their personal life and with their times where they get to walk by themselves, but also somewhat through their work, people really do want meaningful jobs. It takes up a whole lot of your life. It takes up a whole lot of your potential. And it's someplace where you're going to have an enduring impact that you can have far beyond what you can do just by a, an individual without the resources and connections and presence that you have, uh, you know, operating from a, a work position. So I think that that uh, that. The idea is there, and that is where meaningful connections are for people, Uh, and and it's one of those sources, and that's where if you put all of the eggs in that particular basket, you can end up with a lot of broken eggs because uh, that relationship can end. That relationship can end without you actually um, wanting at the end at all. It's a very, it's got a tentative quality to it. So the idea that you're making a commitment to something. But you, it, there's no guarantee that this is going to be uh, enduring. And, and it's true, work won't love you back. But it, I think it will provide opportunities for people to do things that can have a real kind of impact and so i think uh walking away or saying well i'm just not going to put my heart into it anymore uh that the individual you know you, you gain some protection from that but you also lose the potential to do something really significant but it's the it's that high uh value kind of work and when you put yourself into it you are making yourself vulnerable you are making yourself vulnerable to being frustrated and um you know uh, just having people waste your time when you're looking at having a uh, real meaningful impact and things. So it's, it's, it's a risky thing to do to put your heart into your work, but um, it, it, you get something out of it when you do.
0: A risky thing like love itself. Um, you talk about broken eggs and of course broken eggs aren't necessarily bad if they're turned into omelets. Um, how much of this Michael is bound up in, a highly pressurized stratified education system my sense is younger people have a much greater sense of responsibility and potential burnout because education is so much more expensive uh, and so much perhaps is more expected of them from their families particularly the the coastal elites um and also work itself is incredibly competitive the kind of work entrepreneurial or technological it's hard to get these great jobs are not growing on trees
1: Oh yeah. Well, the competitive nature of it—it it does. It, it, I mean, that's one of the things that really brings people into uh, it, just sort of pushing themselves entirely too too hard. And it does start at a very early age, and not in terms of not only in terms of, well, getting the grades at school, but also having the whole package in terms of how one is going to present oneself in order to go through the uh, various levels of being accepted into uh, the right higher education programs and where those are going to go. But the competitive nature of things, um, people are looking for ways, well, if I just work harder, I can get ahead of all of this. Um, And and it's hard to know when you're going to turn off that spigot because it really drains a whole lot of energy out of people when working those very long hours how long are you going to be able to sustain that? And to know, okay, I can back off here. I'm not going to lose that much ground against other people who are pushing themselves that hard. Uh, but you know, workload, excessive workload, but they're working beyond your capacity to replenish your energy. Like the, that, One of the definitive kinds of uh, items in the burnout scale is that I feel tired in the morning before I start a day at work. And that is, kind of feelings, like feeling tired at the end of the day isn't so much the problem, it just means you worked a lot that day. But if you feel tired before the day even begins, your work day even begins, and if that is a regular pattern in your life, that means you'll be recovery cycles aren't working. You're not being able to really fully rest. You're not able to get that energy back overnight or over the weekend or over vacation. It's always just draining and draining and draining and running out that way. And that that kind of that kind of drain is what really pushes people towards burnout. And um, when people are in a very competitive kind of a cycle, they can get far beyond what really is their sustainable capacity to be able to do this job, to be show up uh, the next day and be there just as much, and show up the next day and be there just as much? You, you know, you find your your uh, your capacity that way and try to sustain that. But it's um, people get overreached on that. You no, know, but competition can do that for sure.
0: It's interesting you say people wake up. Tired, it may be because they're not getting a proper night's sleep. We did a show a couple of weeks ago with a sleep doctor. Um, I didn't realize there was such a profession of sleep doctors that there clearly is yes. a lot of people are struggling with sleep, bad sleep patterns. One of his suggestions was to not so much not to worry because we all worry, but to worry during the day rather than at night. To what extent is burnout a consequence of? psychology of worrying how much of it is rooted in our in our heads which is resulting in our bodies being exhausted well certainly
1: that kind of sort of uh, ruminating over things just chewing them over again but basically that's primarily happening when bad things did actually happen at work. I mean, so it's, it's not just sort of something in somebody's head. Uh, I look a lot at um, sort of social dynamics among people and the idea of uh, our, when people are feeling respected or feeling disrespected by others at work, like there can be something where an individual walks by somebody else at work, they say hi, and the other person doesn't respond. And you walk by and you go, do they have earbuds in or something, or was that an issue? Were they were they were they making a statement about our relationship? And then you go, Well, I wonder what's going on with that person. I wonder because people really they want to be part of a work group and they really want to be a respected and uh valued and cherished member of that work group. So that kind of thing now there's something that's out of sort and it's maybe uncertain. It could be that it's fine i just didn't hear you but it could be that it's a big deal yeah, and people um, take it
0: now yeah. in the worst case often people interpret it in racial terms in gendered terms in sexual terms yeah. but again michael are, are we too sensitive particularly in the workplace do we take insults too easily um are we struggling more and more to take criticism at work my wife is a senior executive at a large tech company. And she says that, again, there's a generational issue in that younger people struggle more to to take criticism. Do you think that if we were able to take a little bit more criticism, uh, there'd be less cases of
1: burnout? It could help a bit, but I think that the the main thing is that like one thing I find with, with people are sensitive to any signs of disrespect coming their way. They're less careful about. No,
0: I'm not. I, I love disrespect. Reason. Okay. <laughs> but some people do but, but I, I think that. I'm sure this has always been true, but aren't people a little more sensitive these days than they have always been about? I I see it with my kids and their friends that they're obsessed, not all of them, but many of them are obsessed with some perceived insult or other. And, and, and And it's exhausting for everyone, particularly themselves.
1: Yeah, well, I i mean, I don't have any hard data on the uh, prevalence. of. No, I time, don't. Mine I do is think,
0: purely anecdotal. I don't have any hard data total, on anything, Michael.
1: There is that. But I, I guess what well, the point I was trying to make is that people are very sensitive. They are. A lot of people are quite sensitive to, you know, respect shown to themselves. They aren't quite as careful about showing respect towards other people. And so you end up with a bit of a disconnect. And, and a lot of it's other people just simply... that. just being thoughtless for the moment rather than being uh particularly uh you know ill ill intending uh and those kinds of interactions i think that but that still people end up they they feel bad and then these things happen and then they worry about them but i I think people are worrying a lot more when it that's part of the work group that you've got today if you're managing people uh that's uh, very much an issue that uh, that sensitivity and you could say well they really shouldn't be quite so sensitive but well they are <laughs> so that is that is people today is it, are, uh, uh, very, you know people, yeah,
0: I'd, I'd, is an interesting issue i mean you're not it's not really the focus of your book but surely there's a yeah. as a compromise between both sides you suggest that there's a cost to all this um 500 billion dollars lost 500 and 50 million work hours are lost on, on out of job stress. Those those numbers actually seem quite low to me. How, how, how do you quantify this? And, 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 and should this be a broader political issue? Should it be even something that Joe Biden might discuss in terms of um, reviving the American economy?
1: Well, actually, the Surgeon General of the U.S. did uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, there was a major communication that came out about job burnout and as the uh, you know it as a national issue of of consequence. I think uh, it, it it is both. Uh, burnout. see burnout itself is not a disease. it is uh what is, uh, the w h o called a occupational condition but but an occupational condition means that it's a situation that can cause diseases, both mental and uh physical disorders that result from people having that sense of mm-hmm. chronic exhaustion that cynicism and insecurity and 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 discouragement that goes along with burnout, and that that leads to you know, both uh, lost work days as well as uh, uh, treatment in terms of psychological or, or medical treatment. It leads to um, even when people are at work working at less than the full capacity. And so the, uh, yeah, the economy loses a lot from that. And uh, so it's, it's, it is it's it is part of, you know, the whole Efficiency, the, the capacity of, of um, any economy to produce is gonna rest on the on people and people being able to show up with energy and a sense of involvement and a sense of accomplishment. What we found with um, that that for a lot of people, the difference between really being engaged in their work uh off it really has a lot to do with the positive experiences at work it isn't so much the absence of negativity like negative things certainly push you towards burnout uh but if things are pretty neutral people don't really get fully engaged they don't get right and it's interesting we did a we, really positive yeah.
0: right we did a show with um another sociologist of work a few months ago whose research showed that People's happiness at work didn't necessarily reflect the kind of work they did. So you found just as many happy cleaners or garbage men. The question is how they're treated and the collaborative nature of the work. You co-authored your book with uh, Christina Maslach. Um, Is collaborative work, I mean, obviously some books require a single author and some work requires single workers but mm-hmm. should we all be thinking of working more collaboratively yeah. on whatever we're doing um, and is that really the key to this of treating each yeah. other more decently
1: yeah. well it's certainly an a, a, an aspect of it for sure I, I think very little gets done by one individual or by themselves anymore there's always some kind of a support system or collaborator or partner i think and so much i mean networking with other people is uh, I think it's vital for doing anything complicated. It's a complicated world and it's hard to have a full mastery of all of those pieces. Um, and so you know, I find uh, yeah, writing with Christina Maslak has been a uh, 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 real <laughs> important and who does the heavy and, lifting, and um, um, Michael?
0: I hope you're a gentleman okay. and you open all Chris, all the doors for Christina and don't force her to 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 to. to to pick up Uh, too heavy stuff.
1: I I don't know if that would capture the essence of our relationship, but I think we we each have this thing, has you know, aspects that we bring in and experiences that we bring together that with the work that we do. And we started writing together back in the 1980s and we're still producing things together. So it, it's been something that's just jibes quite well. So you got to find the right partner you've got to find, mm. you know, in terms of taking on different projects and uh, writing, thinking about these kinds of ideas, uh, you know, both of us are coming up with uh, ideas that the other hadn't, thought of or wouldn't have put it that way and then you yeah. go oh, that's that's really adds a lot and then you build on that so uh you know that doesn't happen with everybody you, you got to sort of search around and find find the right person But everyone so been, you
0: think I, has a partner somewhere we did a, a show a few <laughs> weeks ago with a husband and wife uh, crime mm-hmm. writing team mm-hmm. and they've been working together like you and christina for 30 years and and they obviously love each other as husband and wife, but also as collaborative writers. So it's a question of finding them. Let's end, uh, it's a very interesting conversation, Michael. Let's end where okay. we began with Elon Musk, a rather ubiquitous character. Um, there's an interesting piece in on Fox News today, suggesting that in all this controversy over Twitter and workers, uh, I'm quoting the, fo- uh, the Fox, which is a conservative oh, right-wing uh, platform, of course. Musk triggers liberals with email urging employees to commit to extreme hardcore work. Musk's hellscape. Um, Musk is actually rather popular, I think, amongst conservatives. Is there a political dimension to all this, Michael? Is this the new, if you like, ideology or value of liberals? The issue of burnout and work and sympathy and collaboration which conservatives and Fox News aren't so keen on. Is this one of the great ideological divisions of, of, of the 2020s? Well,
1: I think there is a matter of uh, of, of authority and, and how that's really being uh, uh, run. Like, basically, I, I think I mean, if you've got to ask people to commit themselves to that degree, I, I guess one of the questions is, is it a voluntary commitment or is it a forced one is, is one piece of it. And secondly, is he actually going to compensate people uh, fairly for that level of commitment to his organization or is he trying to get is he trying to get free work out of people saying well i'm going to pay you as if you have the classic 40 hour a week no but i want you to put an 80 and i want that second 40 for free (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) it's it's it's, it's, uh, the nature of the relationship
0: yeah it's marx's (laughs) version of the exploitative capitalist. All interesting issues, the burnout challenge, managing people's relationships with their jobs, uh, a new book, uh, Harvard University Press, important book for those of us interested in burnout and and how to manage employees and for employees, how to manage or how to deal with work stress. Congratulations, Michael, on the book. I should congratulate Christine too. She's not here, but she is at least 50% responsible for the work um you're in Nova Scotia I know you're not going to work after this Michael you're probably going to go for a walk by the sea or something (laughs) uh what else do you read for fun in particular how else can we relax how else can we confront the burnout which we all have through books oh I uh I read I read a
1: lot of fiction. I, I actually don't read very much uh, nonfiction. A little bit, um, like what I read recently, uh, Hernan Diaz. He wrote a book called Trust. It is. Mm. A f- wonderful, fascinating, gives four different perspectives on one story, and each one takes you deeper and deeper and a more fascinating, which had a lot to do with work and how people work together and don't work together, so it's really important one there. Another book I read recently, uh, Maggie Shipstead, The Great Circle, which has a lot to do with um, flying airplanes around the globe uh, in the 1930s, actually, <laughs> it's a piece of it, but it is, uh, again, It's people being totally uh, fascinated by an idea, dedicating themselves to making something wonderful happening. And I think, you know, that kind of thing is really, really important. But also, another thing I like, um, TV programs, if you watch The Bear with uh, Jeremy Allen White, uh, that is telling you something about work and the potential for burnout. Well worth watching. Fascinating program. Uh